Fabcast by IAOA with your host, Captain Dave Jackson. Hey, hi there, Collabcast listeners. This is Captain Dave Jackson coming to you from absolutely sunny Hendersonville, Tennessee, part of Nashville. There's not a cloud in the sky here today. And I am so thrilled to have with me Don Champagne from the great state of Michigan. Don, welcome to our podcast today, Collabcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate the, the opportunity to come chat with you. Absolutely. We're so glad to have you. You've been very active in the IAOA group, and most of our listeners know who and what IAOA is, and we appreciate your support and helping other agents. You've been in this industry a bit of a time, so... Not brand new anymore. Nope. And my guess is you're finally uh, in a space where you feel like, uh, I'd like to give back a little bit. Am I right? Uh, Yes, sir. Um, That's actually been my goal for uh, several years. And part of the impetus of some of the things I do was specifically to try and give back because I've been you know, blessed with great relationships that I've built over time that have definitely supported my ability to be successful in this industry. Cool. That's very cool. So I like to, with all our guests, start with, instead of all the you know, unsexy insurance industry, boring stuff, which we we love. I love. It's the only industry I've ever known. But I like to our listeners get to know a little bit about you as well. So you live in Muskegon, Michigan today, correct? I actually I live in Grand Haven, Michigan, which is Is that probably, close to Muskegon? Yeah, it's probably twenty miles from here. Oh, real close. Okay. So that general area. Grand Haven. Um, is that close to the lake? Grand Haven is right on the lake, right on Lake Michigan. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. So if you cross the lake are you close to Chicago or Milwaukee or closer to, to closer to Milwaukee? Like if you go directly gotcha. across, it's about 78 miles across. And if okay. you feel like swimming, you can probably do it in, uh, uh and get to Milwaukee in, a, in about a day and a half, I would imagine. Nice. Um, so let's start at the very beginning. Where'd you grow up and go to school and all that good stuff? Was it Michigan? No, actually I'm a, I'm a Michigan transplant. Uh, moved to Michigan in 95. And uh, had moved from Chicago, which so I knew Michigan well and had um, you know a lot of experiences in Michigan, which is one of the things that drove me to the area. Uh, you know where I, I I grew up in a kind of a, a rougher neighborhood outside, uh, in a, out, right outside Chicago. And Cubs um, or White Sox? Well, see, I have a I was on the south side of Chicago, so, so I you're been a White Sox, Sox fan. Should have been. I was always a Cubs fan and a Sox fan. And the only time yeah, I don't... There is no such thing. See, you but know that's that. the thing. Like, you know, Dave, so I'm going to give my theory on this. I don't have enough energy to hate another team. I like the teams okay. I like. I'm going to support the teams I support. And I'm not going to throw any negative energy towards another team. But when the Cubs play the Sox at the Crosstown Classic, I root for the Cubs. Otherwise, I'm rooting okay. for both teams in Chicago. Okay. So you are, at heart, a Cubs fan. At heart, a Cubs fair. fan. That's fair. So even though you grew up on the South Side. Yeah, I was so. wrong side of town for that one. It was not an yep. easy... Uh, Easy growing yeah. up being a Cubs fan in the South Side of yeah. Chicago. Okay, so here's an interesting question everybody likes to know. What do you remember? And tell us about your very first day in the insurance industry. How did that start for you? Interestingly enough, my first day in the insurance industry, I was just licensed, and I didn't, you know, I didn't know what the next step was. I was licensed in commercial, and it was basically go out and sell. And I kind of said, well, I don't know anything about insurance. And so you're a producer. I was for a an producer. Agency? And um, they okay. said, well, you know more than 
than the person on the other side of the desk of you. Mm -hmm. So that's where you start. And so I cut my teeth basically just, you know, knocking on doors. And I was told that to be successful in this industry, I needed to knock on 10 doors a day. Uh, so um, I figured I would do more than 10 doors a day. I averaged probably 18 and um, got pretty proficient at selling insurance. But I didn't know a lot about insurance. I mean, I was good at, you know, picking apart policies and, you know, and to gather enough information to get a quote and get a, a, a cursory understanding of the business I was working on and was able to then turn those two things into a proposal and then was a strong enough salesperson to uh, get them to come on board with us uh, you know, and, and allow us to be their uh, insurance representative. But from a risk standpoint and an insurance standpoint, I was still um, extremely ignorant and didn't recognize how ignorant I was until I got deeper into the industry. So was that in Illinois or no, Michigan, was in Michigan or where? That was in Michigan. That was in Michigan. Okay. What brought you to Michigan, first off? I find the neighborhood I wanted to live in in Chicago. I couldn't afford it to live where I wanted to live to raise a family and didn't want to raise a family in the areas I could afford. So I, I went north to Michigan and was able to buy a home early and and find a, an environment that I thought was conducive to raising a family. So, um, you know, and I, I don't second guess. I love Chicago and I go back to Chicago uh, often, especially for the food, but Michigan's been a, a, a great place, and and I'm going to tell you, for about five months out of the year, there's not a better place in in the U.S. It's the other seven months that you start to look elsewhere. Right, it's it a little cold. So, so at that point, when you left Chicago, you were married and had ch kids, right? Getting uh, just got just recently married, and you know, okay. starting family, yeah. starting a family. Okay, very good. So. When you started as a producer, did you have a niche or it was just knock on every business door you could? Yeah, my, my niche was, did you have a business? <laughs> okay. Which, uh, again, wasn't conducive to, to being <laughs> good at it. It was, um, you know, it was a, um, basically a shotgun approach uh, to gaining momentum in the industry. And, and because I wasn't afraid, you know, like the cold calling in the insurance world is, is one of the things that people talk about a lot and they're just not comfortable with it. That never bothered me. Knocking on doors. I mean, if the if the front door was locked, I went to the back door, and, and you know, because that's where the deliveries were going. I figured I'd go in there, and you know, so right. none of that stuff was intimidating to me. But what I started to find is that there was a, a a niche market that came out of this process that grew organically, and and that kind of started to really solidify once I went out on my own and started my scratch agency, which was a challenging thing to do because I did it really early on in my career in the insurance world and didn't know a lot about insurance. Didn't know about how to run an agency and didn't know a ton about insurance, but I thought I was smart enough to run an agency and, and do this on my own. And so I did, um, which came with a lot of uh, setbacks and complications and frustrations until I started to really st uh, get a grasp of how an agency should run, what the industry was all about and how to really get good at selling commercial insurance by doing you know risk analysis and risk management. Awesome. So on your LinkedIn profile, I'm going to jump around a little bit here. Sure. On, on your LinkedIn profile, I stole a little glimpse this morning. It says space for lease. Explain that for us. <laughs> so I, in 2022, I had 20 years in the business. And so I needed to make a, you know, what, what's next? What's my plan? And so I built a 20-year plan. Part of that 20-year plan was I wanted a building that I knew I could out outgrow. And so we were busting at the seams at our last location, and that was a lease location. I had sold my previous building because it was too small, went to a lease location, 
knowing that eventually I was going to buy something. I found a 13,000 square foot commercial office building, solid brick building um, that uh, needed some love and, and some, um, some TLC, but I knew that I would never outgrow that space. So I bought that building at the end of 2022 to help formulate that um, and solidify the 20 year plan. And um, now we, we moved in one of, uh, one of the local realtors in town. They have about 4,000 square feet. We're using about 3,500 for the office. And then I have for my consulting. And then I put a training room in here, which is something I've always wanted. Um, so I'm using about probably 1,500 square feet. So it still leaves about 4,000 square feet left to, to lease out. And so okay. our goal is to find a couple like-minded businesses that will naturally, you know, maybe a title office or a lender of some sort that will naturally help funnel business to each other and create like a little financial center, if not um, a, you know, a, a business center, depending on, you know, the, the what other potential uh, tenants we can find. So I'm not in a big hurry, to be honest with you, the building cost me less than I was paying in, in rent. So I'm actually in a better position. It just costs a lot more money to fix. And, I'm, you know, that's been a challenge and sure. going through that process is always interesting. So... That brings up a really good point. Going through COVID like we did the last few years and now hopefully past that phase. Um, is your 20-year plan include uh, remote work at all? It does not. Um, okay. So, and, explain, and I know to our, explain to our listeners why that would be for sure, you. Sure. So I know remote workers does, does work. Um, but if you show me a thousand insurance agencies, I'm going to show you a thousand different operations. And so mm -hmm. I think that's why it's, it's, I'm always cautious when like getting engaged with people at the IAOA, I don't typically tell them this is what you need to do. I tell them this is what I've done. This is what I've seen. Mm -hmm. These are the experience I've had. So then they can take the bits and pieces of that and apply it to their operations to see if it fits. So with mm -hmm. our operation, I didn't feel it was going to be beneficial to separate our team. And when I had two offices during COVID and I, I actually um, merged them together during that time period, we, we remained open. Um, we were obviously allowed to do that, but we also took a stance that, you know, we're going to be leaders in our community and we're going to try and get back to normal as soon as possible. So that's how we operated our, op our business. But when bringing our team from the other office into this office, the cohesion and the ability to, to, to work together and collaborate just increased so dramatically. And I recognize that I'd lose a lot of the culture that I'm trying to build by having people outside of the office. So we took a kind of a hard line that we weren't going to do that. And we did have some fallout from that. And, and that's okay. Um, you know, we had a couple of people that were not um, comfortable in that um, un under those parameters. And I, you know, I recognize that we're not going to be the, the, the shop that fits everybody who wants to work in the industry and that's okay. But what we did is we, we made a determination that this is how we're going to move forward. Now, I know people have used um, remote workers, virtual workers, uh, VAs, um, you know, the everything that works for your agency um, is going to be beneficial for your business operation. And just recognize that, um, you know, each person's dynamic is going to be different based on what they're trying to accomplish and achieve. And so after going through that process, we made a determination that we'd probably never be remote and we had a few, you know, the first week or two, you know, everyone was kind of had to until we got, got it sorted out. And right. most of our team hated it. They did not like it. But we do have a, we, we create a pretty fun environment. We, you know, we break bread together on a regular basis. I tell you, I mean, I, I tell everyone on a regular basis, an, a, a meeting without food is an email. 
<laughs> and so we 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 I spend like time it. together. We have a, literally have meetings surrounded around food, so we can you know build the, the strength of our culture in our office, which makes us better worker, makes a bigger work environment, and make us better teammates. That's awesome. I like that. But you're absolutely right. A thousand agencies and a thousand different ways to do it, and that's why we're called independence. Amen. We get to do it the way we want, and however that is, as long as it's successful, more power to you. That's what I always say. Yep. So tell us about your family, uh, children. So I How have many? Um, uh, three children from a previous marriage, and they are all grown. And um, I had a, a bonus daughter when I got remarried, and she is now uh, 15. So I'm going through um, a lot of those uh, stages again, and uh, mm -hmm. it's been good. Um, my, uh, you know, the the challenges that come with raising um, kids when you're first starting a business versus the challenges of raising kids when you have an established business are, are different. And, uh, you know, sure. it makes you reflect a lot. I mean, I know I worked a ton. I tried not to miss. I mean, I coached, the you know, t-ball. I coached soccer i coached volleyball like you know what if they did it i was in it i ran you know helped run the ski club i you know whatever it was but i know that you know there was times i was probably there but not present and you know and i think that that's changed a lot for me one because i recognize that you know that's not how you're supposed to be with your you know with your family and and two i'm in a better position like you know because i'm you know more established so it's a little bit easier so i'm, I'm much much more able to disengage from the phone and, and, and the things when I'm, I'm there, I'm also present. So it's been a, it's been a positive experience and um, you know, it's a, it's, it's great having a, a, another opportunity to run through that process with a, um, a child in the house. So it's been good. Cool. Any of your kids follow you into the industry? Um, <laughs> no, no. So my, um, my oldest neither, daughter neither one of mine is, um, uh, she is working in the construction industry, actually, um, for an office, and her husband has a construction business. Um, my middle daughter is uh, has just graduated um, at uh, Northern Michigan with her um, education degree and is actually teaching in a special education program up in Marquette, Michigan. And then my youngest son um, is um, still trying to figure it out. He, you know, he's... He, graduated from high school, took a year for college and, you know, just trying to figure out what his, his path is going to be. So you never know where that's going to lead. My bonus daughter, my, my young, now my youngest daughter, she shows the most interest in the, in the, in the business. She likes to talk about it and, you know, hear about the things that, that we're doing. So I might actually have her intern for us this summer just to see if she wants to pursue anything in this industry. But I think it'll be a good experience for either way. And it also allow her to gain some just general office experience, which I think is important for everyone to have. But, you know, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to try and drag, push, or pull anyone into this industry because um, right. it's a tough industry to be successful in. It's one of the best ones to, to work in, in my opinion, but it's it's tough. Absolutely. So how many years now have you worked in the industry? Not in your entire... When you were first married, you worked be, before you got licensed, you worked in another industry. So, so how long now in insurance? Yeah, so I, I have 24 years in the industry, 21 as an independent agency owner, um, okay. tw well, 21 as of April 17th. So we had our 21st birthday here, um, okay. celebrated it, and not an anniversary, we celebrated it like a birthday and, and uh, had cocktails at our office to celebrate our ability to finally legally drink. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So after your name, uh, when I see your name on... Um, 
business profiles, you've got some initials, CIC and CRM. Which of one of those two has been more beneficial to you? You know, I would encourage anybody in the insurance world to get their CIC. I don't know Commercial, that I would say- personal, doesn't matter? Don't, doesn't matter. Um, I, in fact, we mandate everyone in our office um, get the CI, their CISR, and I literally help them build their education track. Education is extremely important to me and important for our office. And then from there, I encourage them um, to the point where we'll pay for those classes, obviously, to get a CIC designation. A CRM, I think, is really, really beneficial if you're in uh, commercial. And I know they have personal lines, areas where you can focus on um, risk management as well. But the deep dive in, in the, um, the CRM was beneficial, but it also depends on the market you're working on. So when I started a scratch agency, I didn't want to go after um, all the big stuff. I didn't feel like I had the knowledge or sophistication to compete with the, the big houses. And I didn't want to go after the Main Street stuff that the the, uh, the captives couldn't write, write, or basically your personalized agencies that dabbled in commercial could write. So I went somewhere in between. So if you're writing any kind of challenging commercial risks, or if you're going to write in the uh, middle market, my CRM is very, very beneficial. It really teaches you to, um, the understanding of risk and risk assessments, and, and it, it makes it um, so much easier to walk in any, because I don't care what business it is, what entity they, they are operating under and, and what industry they're, they're working on. I'll go in there and, and, and act very, very comfortable going through an underwriting and loss control process, because I don't care if you sell whiskey or widgets, we'll figure it out. But I think that confidence came from the education that I, I gained through getting my CIC and my CRM. How long ago did you get your CIC? That was a while ago. I think fifteen years, maybe. I think. I think. Yeah, I think it was. It's on the one of the plaques back there. I think, but I think it was fifteen years ago, something like that. They got the CIC, and probably maybe eight years ago to, to, that I got the CRM. Okay. Which so obviously, that, you know, they're both, you know, they're multiple classes and, and I didn't try and sure. cram them all in one year. Um, yeah, so like some folks do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I understand that I didn't, I didn't have the financial ability to do that as I was trying to build an agency. I had to kind of spread yeah. it out because there was a cost associated plus time away from work and et cetera. Anyway, yeah. So, you know, I just had to be a little bit more um, patient when trying to achieve those things, but I thought they were worthwhile. And, and I think they were great investments for, for myself and the agency. So here you are in the industry, five to 10 years, roughly, and you decide, you know what? I need a CIC designation. What made you come to that decision? Because I didn't know what I was doing. In fact, I started, you know, so actually, it was three Did years. Did you recognize in, that? In th it was three years in the industry when I, or I fully recognized I didn't know what I was doing. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I gained enough. At least you're knowledge. honest. Not all of us are honest. At least you're honest about it. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll call it like I see it. I saw it, you know, in, in, in one of the first uh, key indicators that I got that I need to do a better job of, of ass assessing risk is um, I had a I, I wrote a nice manufacturing um, operation. It was a really clean operation, and I think I did a good job of you know basically you know scraping the surface of what they did, and you know showing it to the underwriter, and, and they were excited about it and they wrote it. And then they did a loss control inspection. The loss control inspection was sent to me instead of the the, the carrier for some reason on accident pages and pages of information that I didn't gain, I, I never gathered. And I looked at all this stuff and I was like, wow, there's a, they're looking for a lot of, they're asking a lot more questions. They're doing deeper dives, more pictures, more understanding of the operation of, you know, the building facilities, as well as the, the operations, the staff, the et cetera. Why am I not doing this stuff beforehand? 
if that's what they're going to need to write it. Because if they if they didn't like what they saw, what are they going to do? They're going to cancel it. Right, right. They're going to change their rating on it. So so I recognized, like, well, I really didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I was gathering deck pages and quoting off those. And um, so when I, you know, when, when I had started on my own, I had built processes to make sure that I was doing um, what we call a business survey, um, which is, you know, basically a, a loss control inspection, a pre-loss control inspection that I developed on my own. And I developed them. Um, by one, going through and getting additional education so I had a strong understanding of the industry, but two, basically taking five to 10 applications from different carriers. They all ask about 80% of the questions. I highlighted the 20% and then collected those all together and put together my own survey, which then allowed me to have a greater understanding of the risk. And it forced me to recognize not only did I not understand the risks that I was quoting, but I also maybe didn't have a great understanding I had a base knowledge of insurance, but not a great understanding, a deep understanding of insurance. And so I needed to work on both sides of it. That's what started building my niches. I want to know the, the, the niches that I work on real well, and then the insurance that are necessary for them to be successful and protect themselves. And so I really started to focus on education. And so it's, it's part of my mantra. Like, you know, I tell people on a regular basis, you need to read 15 minutes a day about your industry. If you read 15 minutes a day about your industry, you'll gain about 91 continuing education hours in a year. You're not mandated to have 91 continuing education hours, but that's what it'll give you. And sometimes we just have to recognize that we don't know everything. Even after 24 years, there's no way I can know everything. Mm-hmm. So I have to do deep dives and start understanding stuff. That includes reading policies. That includes reading forms. That includes um, doing research. I mean, there's so much that you can learn to sharpen your skills and, and hone your ability to be successful in this industry. And that knowledge brings confidence. I don't lack confidence, mm-hmm. not because... I'm super good at it. They're super smart. It's because I've spent a lot of time trying to get better at this. And that has allowed me to feel, you know, that I, I have a great understanding of the industry and the, um, the risks that I'm going after, which makes me feel uh, confident in those situations. So I push everyone to get education so they get that confidence because confidence builds trust with your clients. For sure. Absolutely. I also know some, a few things about you and your business career, and that is that you have gotten very well involved in your uh, state associations, so primarily the big I. We have an upcoming speaker at our innovation conference in October from Florida, Julie Levine, and she's going to talk about the importance of getting involved in legislative activities and government relations um, statewide or nationally, probably more importantly, statewide, especially in Florida. But um, so you've gotten involved in yours because I see things like the Yak Conference next month in, well, yeah, June in Mackinac Island, which is a beautiful location. Um, so how is it you're involved in a Yak, a YAC, Young Agents uh, Committee? So why are you involved in something like that? Is this your give back time again? So, um, so the Young Agents um, uh, Conference is um, coincides with our, our national or with our, our state board meetings, and so and we've done that purposely to make sure that the leadership of the state board continue to engage with our young agents in the industry. And so, I'll actually be there for our board meetings, and then I'm going to be on a uh, panel of speakers to talk to the young agents about you know industry trends and and agency operations and sales and et cetera. So they're going to go through a list of questions for the panel speakers. And I think it is, it's a way to give back. It's a way to make sure that we're communicating 
clearly uh, the expectations of the industry for people who are just getting into it. I mean, I'm, I'm really clear. I always tell people the first two years suck. I mean, I don't car- I don't candy coat it at all. First right, two years suck. Right. And you have to go through a lot of suck in order to get past those first two years. And I'm not saying the third year is going to be great. I'm just saying you're going to start to g- formulate an understanding of the industry and a formulate an understanding of the role you play in the industry that you can start to build from there. But if you can't get past those first two years, you're not going to make it. And we see that a lot in our industry. So encouraging mm-hmm. the youth in our industry is important. And um, so, so anytime we have an opportunity to give back to the young agents, we, we do. This will be my last stint. Uh, I, I, last year, I was the board president. This year, I serve as the, the immediate past president. And for legacy information, they always keep the immediate past president on the board. And then um, and as of August, I'll step off the board and then I'll, I've done my time. But I'm still chairing the legislation, legislative committee and then I'm chairing the, um, the uh, convention committee. We have a pretty robust um, convention. We'll have you know, six, 700 members uh, or six to 700 participants in our convention. So it's a pretty big convention that we do on an annual yeah. basis. And so to keep that vibrant and engaging, we want to make sure that we have agencies involved, the agencies involved in that instead of just the big eye staff who um, do a fantastic job, but, you know, they're not in the day-to-day inner workings of, of the right. insurance world. And um, legislative thing, that's what got me involved in the big eye in the first place. The legislation that affects our industry is so critical to the success of our independent agency system, yet most of us don't pay any attention to it. We don't either take the time, um, invest the energy, or or spend the money to either be a member of the big eye or to you know participate in in the PACs because people are you know tend to be um, uh, against paying you know PAC dollars because they don't feel like they need to pay politicians and and I don't I don't think it's that's what it's about. It's it's about educating politicians that get elected because they have some kind of passion to serve. But that doesn't make them instantly insurance experts, and they're going to make no. decisions on the insurance industry based on legislation they understand, but have no idea how it'll impact us. We need to make sure we have people with access to those legislators so that they can educate them and correct them sometimes when they're making trying to build laws that are in favor of our industry, but maybe more harmful than they thought they would be. So I will continue, probably always continue to be involved in the legislative process of our industry because I feel like the laws. Um, that govern our, our industry are what's going to make or break us in the in the future. That brings up a really good point that I want to discuss because I don't think too many people know. Um, I believe this to be fact. Uh, if you were to rank on personal auto rates, if you were to rank state the number one highest state in terms of premium, average premium, and the lowest, let's say number 50, Michigan would be number one and number 50 would be Idaho. So the difference in rates between personal auto rates between Michigan and Idaho are complete opposites, ends of the spectrum. So a lot of people know a little bit about Michigan and say, well, you're a no-fault state. That's why you're at the very top. Explain to people how that happens. Well, <laughs> so that happened way, way before my time. Oh, a um, long time ago. Yeah, yeah. That, that was like probably early, early 70s that we, we broke into the no-fault state. And um, and still are today. Well, we're now we're now we've had no fault reform in the last couple of years. So I don't know that I would still consider us a no fault state. I think we're a tort fault state because they changed some of the, um, the the rules and regulations that govern how we can make claims, and it's opened the doors to have more legal interactions if you find yourself in an accident. And so that's, you know, one of the bigger concerns that I have with uh, the legislative changes that were made 
because um, one, it like, you know, so we had mini tort. Well, it went from, I think, 500 to 1,000 and then 1,000 to 3,000. Well, I mean, there's a, a wide range of, of room in that $3,000 for for people to litigate. And, you know, and I think that can tie up the court systems. Um, we also uh, created, we had, a, you know, um, unlimited PIP option and that everyone had it and anyone coming into the state had it. Well, that's changed um, greatly. Uh, and so now people that enter the state, they have whatever they had when they when they were in their own state. And now your your PIP options can be unlimited or there's like three other options you can be choosing. But that changes the dynamic because at one point in time, there were very few lawsuits. If you had unlimited medical, most of your most of the damages in a major accident, catastrophic accident were covered. Well, now what if you chose less and you're getting in a catastrophic accident? Now you're forced to litigate. So we're still starting to, we're just beginning to start to feel the ramifications for the changes they made to, to no fault. And we'll get a better understanding probably in the next two years of the fin- financial implications, as well as the complications that are created with someone getting properly compensated after being in some kind of catastrophic accident. Uh, I think the, uh, the concerns that we have is they didn't plan accordingly. And a lot of these decisions were made without having strong actuarial information that will show that the tr- the trend is not favorable for some of the decisions they made. But, um, you know, that's just my, my opinion. And we'll, I guess we'll see how that plays out as time goes. So that you feel like that will even itself out over time. Um, well, that's your hope. Maybe, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I think, um, when you open the door for people to litigate and they feel like there's some compensatory, um, advantages to doing so mm-hmm. they're going to. Mm-hmm. Entitlement, yeah, that's human nature. Unfortunately. unfortunately, yeah, yeah. Okay, so very good. So you mentioned earlier you build a training room because you're doing some consulting. Who are you consulting with? <laughs> so one of the niches I work with um, is uh, restaurant bars um, industry. Um, you know, basically, if you sell liquor, I probably write it. Yeah. And um, early on in my career, I kept running into businesses that um, the owners were very, very good at their trade, but not good at running a business. And they'd have complications that would come up. A lot of them were on licensure and they would ask me questions just because we were talking and I was a business, you know, I walk in with a certain tie. So so obviously I was able to tie a tie. I must be smart. Let's ask Don questions. And um, they didn't know it was a clip on. So, but whatever. Right. Uh, so I'd get in these conversations and a lot of them be like, well, that seems easy enough to fix. And and I would either dig into it myself because I'd be interested or I'd point out a way to fix it. And they started getting more and more um, in-depth questions. And I find myself answering more and more questions to support people in this industry that I thought, maybe I should be charging for this because it's taking up a lot of my time. So I started doing consulting work in that area. And then as a, um, a value add, I, I got trained in... Um, what's called TAM or techniques in alcohol management, which if you own a, a liquor license, you have to have people on staff that are trained in that. So I got mm-hmm. a training um, opportunity and, and uh, when I can now teach these classes to the, my clientele, um, their staff, so that they meet the state standards. And so it, it gave me an opportunity to either engage with people that weren't clients or to support clients that were mine and keep other agencies away from us because they couldn't do the same thing. And so I started doing those kind of classes. Um, we, you know, we've taught, you know, general business classes, uh, the alcohol management classes. We've done a couple, um, just, you know, I guess life coach classes. 
I've enjoyed those kind of um, opportunities to just basically give giving back some of my experiences. Uh, you know, some of them, those experiences obviously are based on failures. And let me share my failures so maybe that you can avoid those same pitfalls. And and so ultimately, when I when I got this building, I said I, re- I really I'd love a training room where I can do this at any time I want. I don't have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so it was one of my bucket list goals to have, uh, but never had the space for it. Well, this works out perfect. I could probably seat in a classroom setting, 24 people comfortably. And uh, I mean, I think that's a fairly decent amount of people that I could go through. And I want to uh, start doing these kind of classes on a a routine basis so that people can just send people over here. And some of them I I charge for, some of them I don't. It just depends on what I'm doing. I'm developing a a business uh, class to help people start a business. I have people call me on a regular basis about that. Like, you know, how do I set up my LLC? How do I, you know, get my federal ID number? How do I, and most of the stuff's pretty easy. So if I could just teach it in mass, um, I think think it'd be a a benefit to a lot of businesses. And then also it opens up the opportunity for us to then, you know, handle their insurance because at some point, one thing in a business, they're going to need insurance. Right. Right. So in the state of Michigan, if I understand you right, if I own a bar and I've got 10 employees, I, those 10 employees, I need to send through a course, a class of some sort. So the state law says you must have one person on staff at all times that's trained. So of okay. those 10, if you, if you schedule it properly, you don't have to have all 10 trained. I got My you. concern is, and this is why from a risk management standpoint is, why would you want half your staff trained and the other half not? So if you and I are bartending, you're trained and I'm not, you're doing following all the rules and I'm breaking all the rules because you're not paying attention to me. You're taking care of customers. How is that protecting your customer base and protecting your business and protecting your liquor license. So I try and do these classes um, as, as inexpensive as possible. I mean, there's a, there's a fee for the class that you have to pay to the, the owners of TAM, and, uh, which is the MLBA, which is the uh, Licensed Beverage Association in the state of Michigan. And um, they get paid for the, you know, the, the resources, but I try and make it as, as inexpensive as possible so that they train everybody because I'd rather have everyone trained. That means that the clients that I'm working with, at least they have a greater opportunity to um, impact the uh, the industry by making sure they're not, not dealing with underage uh, drinkers or uh, intoxication, uh, overly intoxicated patrons. And so um, that's been our approach. Uh, you know, there are some people that are going to still adhere to it. Nope, oh, I got someone trained. I don't need everyone trained. And those are people we can't help, but we'll try. So do, are you able to control the cost on that? Like, can you say, hey, you're an insurance client of mine. I, you can send your folks through this class that I'm uh, licensed to teach at no cost. Can you control that? Well, I mean, so there's always going to be some cost because there's a pass-through cost to the uh, association that owns the rights to the material. Uh, but okay. yes, I can, I can control the cost because I don't, have to, I don't have to get paid for my time when teaching right. this. And it's a risk management tool, no different than doing an inspection or you know, walking through and, and making sure their, their um, you know, their uh, exit signs are lit properly and that their doors are, you know, uh, uh, managed properly and et cetera. So right, we'll, right. We'll, we'll, we treat it like that. Cool. So this is a good segue into your agency. You don't have to share numbers like revenue dollars or premium dollars, but what about split personal versus commercial? What's the mix of your business? So I started the agency as commercial only. Um, and that's all I did. And for probably the first almost 10 years, um, I went after a select businesses that I wanted to go after. 
I made enough money to um, pay my bills kind of thing. I wasn't trying to grow because I didn't know a lot about um, the industry at that point. So I was just figuring it out. And um, I was given the opportunity to take over a small personal lines agency that was struggling. And I was able to get markets for them. And we took over that personal lines agency and then started dabbling in, in personal lines and commercial. Um, so that was probably, call it eight years ago. But we didn't really have a, a team of people working on personal lines. So it grew very, very slowly until I, I, I created a, a conscious effort to build on personal lines. And we're now about 50-50. So um, wow. uh, we have a, a pretty strong personal lines team. We have uh, five people that are dedicated to personal lines at, at all times. And that has uh, allowed our agency to grow in ways that I didn't fully understand when I first started in the industry, you know, because I didn't want to, I didn't want to personally do personal lines. And so I, I didn't even focus on it. And I wasn't in a position maybe to hire someone to do personal lines. So it was something I just kind of ignored. Um, but I don't know that. Um, you know, if I if I had to do it all over again, I would probably do both. And it's funny because when you talk to other uh, people, they might say, if I had to do it all over again, I'd only do one. And so, you know, again, it comes back to every agency is just a little bit different. And um, mm -hmm. we've seen some uh, some great success and, and, and created some great opportunities for other people to uh, find success in this industry by having these open other lines uh, available. And so... Um, now that the personal lines is doing really, really strong, my goal is to start building up on the commercial line side again and uh, uh, try and push that closer to a 60-40, I think. Plus, don't you feel like it helps insulate both sides of the business? You it, know? It, it does, it but it again, ignorance didn't allow me to understand that until I started doing it. <laughs> right. That makes sense. <laughs> so of your 50-50, of your 50% commercial, restaurants and bars, that's one niche that you concentrate in? Yes. So um, I always uh, try and encourage, and I actually teach a, a class to agents about niches, um, how to build niches and, and, and um, how to uh, find success in building those niches because it's not easy. Uh, it takes time. And I think that people want to build a niche and they want to, you know, I write 50 of them in the first year. It's like, well, that's not realistic. Right. Um, but I, I feel like having multiple niches is, is important. Finding out things that you're passionate about are areas that you should go after. So I went after, I love food. I'm a foodie. Um, so I love the restaurant bar industry. And so I went after a ton of those, which led into liquor stores. And so we went after a ton of those. And then we found out that we were really good at um, tattoo parlors for some reason. We had a good market for them. So we became pretty proficient at those. And then we went after golf courses and the game became pretty proficient at those. And each one of those comes with a learning curve. You have to, I mean, you in order to be, to make it a niche, you have to be educated on the industry itself. So you have to spend some time sure. um, understanding that industry. When I first started doing restaurant bars, I didn't really have any restaurant bar experience. I literally read, I think probably, I don't know, maybe 15 different books on like how to run a restaurant, how to run a bar, including the dummy books and all the other stuff, because I wanted to have a clear understanding and I wanted to speak in their language. I want to use, you know, their lexicon because we all have yeah. words that we use in our industry that no one else understands. I wanted right. to have that. So when I walked in there, I had instant credibility. And so we had to do that for some other niches. Now we do... Um, you know, we do contractors, but everyone does contractors, but we would shrink it down and we went after like electricians and HVAC guys and, you know, wrote a, a decent amount of those. We, um, at one point in time, were after all kinds of high property stuff, which would include strip malls, regional malls, large uh, condominium complexes and things like that. And some of those markets started to dry up as the rates started to increase. And so we moved away from some of those things to focus on 
other opportunities. Um, I think that, you know, being a smaller agency, because it's not like we're this you know, giant um, operation, you know, you can be a little bit more flexible and, and, and turn a little bit easier when, when the market changes and say, okay, maybe we should start doing something a little different. You know, the, the hard part is, is, is time. I mean, I have all, all the ideas and all the ambition of the world, but I, I, I only have 24 hours a day and some of that has to be used to sleep, I guess. <laughs> so, um, here we are in the midst of what some would call the hardest market they've ever seen in our industry. And this year, 2023, it's almost impossible to talk to anybody who's another agency owner about how it's impacted their agency. Well, you've been in this industry long enough to see some ups and downturns, which most every industry, I don't care what it is, they all have ups and downs. It's just that way, it seems. And I've been in this industry long enough to know that even on the captive side, it, we're going to have ups and downs. And this is definitely an upturn, if you want to call it up, not in terms of positive, but in terms of uh, you know market access and rates and everything else. How's your agency been affected? So the first thing I, I, I would encourage anyone when dealing with the, the, the hard market is to recognize that many of us almost all of us are in uncharted territory. And so you need to start ex exhibiting patience more so when things are going wrong, because uh, our instinct is to challenge when things go wrong. And, and I don't know that that's the right thing to do right now with our carrier partners and et cetera. The hard market has done a few things to us that we've had to pay attention to. It's, it's created more busy work, which is, is um, obviously normal. I mean, you're, we're quoting more renewals that we've had, to, um, we haven't had to do before. We're, we're having to explain uh, increases more than we've had to do before. But I think that if you recognize that that's going to be part of the, the, um, the process to be successful, you start building plans to address these things now so that you can focus on how to grow during this time period. Because I, I think there's a cautionary tale. If we keep all our business or lose some of our business, you know, basically policies in force, but we see the increases, we're going to feel like we've grown in revenue but we've, we've actually shrunk in size. Well, the market's going to stabilize at some point. It might be next year. It might be three years. But when it, it does, to, yeah. it's, you're going to feel the, the pain because all your premiums are going to shrink really fast. And you're going to see, well, I had a smaller policy count than I had before. So this is an opportunity for growth. And, and I think it's one of the best opportunities that most agents have seen in their lifetime. Because now's the time to engage people who are struggling with their insurance. It's on everybody's mind because everyone's dealing with increases. So let's have some real conversations with, you know, prospects and, and with our current client base to ensure that we're explaining what's going on and creating opportunities for growth. And I mean, you know, the thing that we've been doing, a lot, seeing a lot is, is we're cross-selling more than ever during this process because we're creating engagement opportunities with our current client base and then selling an umbrella or, or um, increasing coverage here or adding a, you know, a, a vehicle or, or moving kids off their policy and creating new policies because they're recognizing like, at this point, maybe you shouldn't be paying for your kids insurance anymore. They're on their own. Like, why are they still here? Let's do this. So, uh, you know, we're learning our, 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 um, our book better and helping our clients better. And then hopefully building processes that allow us the flexibility and, and free time to then go after new opportunities. And that's been most of our talk. So our talk has been pretty um, um, optimistic. Yes, there's tiring days. Yes, there's a few days where I was like, oh, I feel like all I've done is, you know, take care of problems. But that's why we're here. And if we don't recognize that that's the value of what we provide, then we're not necessary. You can call an 800 number. 
and, and be done mm-hmm. and get rid of independent agents altogether. We're here mm-hmm. to fix problems. We're here to solve people's concerns and, and, and frustrations by being good at our job. And part, part of being good at our job is to shift when the industry shifts. And that's what we're dealing with right now is an industry shift. And we all have the capability of succeeding during this time period. It's just going to be our mindset, our mentality, and the effort we put in while things get tough. Absolutely. It's time to take market share for the independents. Absolutely. I spent 35 years on the captive side of the, of the industry. Three times, three stints as a captive agent, two all states and a state farm. So when as an agent in those agencies, as the, the owner, and they, a call would come in and say, my rate's gone up. I can't, I can't pay this anymore. What can you do to help me? Well, we can, they had three options. You can increase deductibles. So that's all you had to do. The only options you had, there were no other carrier options. You have one carrier, that's it. So I can increase your deductibles, lower your rate. I could decrease uh, your liability limits, which is never, almost never a good idea. Um, And so, and they didn't like those ideas, those options, but that's all you had to offer them. So now as an independent, you know, you've got so much more flexibility and still, like you said, put them in a better spot than they were before they made the call or you contacted them, which is a good thing. And so you're insulating your book of business. You're increasing lines per household, which increases revenue, which increases commissions, which makes your policyholder happy. What's bad about it? Yes, it takes time. No doubt about it. It takes more time. And so, like you say, there are days where my CSR says, I just spent 24 hours uh, talking to people in an eight-hour shift. I get it. Oh, yeah. It feels it feels that way. It does. But uh, you're going to earn your keep. And that's why I've said, especially in IAO, I, I give advice a lot. And I say, now is the time to treat your staff better than they've ever been treated. Because if you've got built the right culture, and you talked about that early on, uh, now is the time when they earn their keep, you know, and the culture uh, provides for let's help our clients, you know, uh, as best we can. Um, I do have some questions about your agency. So on the commercial side, who are your top three carriers? So because we do some specialty stuff, we have some carriers that are not like maybe well known. Household names. So, yeah. so we, we do a lot of work with like Conifer and Illinois Casualty. Okay. okay. Because they fit into our um, um, hospitality uh, restaurant bar industry very, very well. We write a lot with State Auto, even though State Auto's had some, you know, changes. Uh, that's mm-hmm. they've always been a good carrier for us. Um, we, and we and then other carriers that do a decent job for us. Uh, we have Liberty um, Travelers. Um, we do a decent amount of commercial uh, with Progressive, believe it or not, because their uh, Progressive mm-hmm. auto rates can be pretty um, competitive if done right. properly, especially with larger fleets if you use their um, their programs properly. So. Um, right. I, I think those are where a lot of our commercial risks are, are placed right now. Are you an auto owners agency? We are not. Really? Yes. That's. Uh, I that's, know they're strong in Michigan. They are. Well, I mean, they're based here in Michigan, and um, right. Uh, you know, I, I, I've met with them on several occasions because of my role at the Big Eye, but we've never been able to hang that sign on our wall. It's something that I, I think I would uh, like to have. I think auto owners is a, is a good carrier. They have good products and they have um, a good, good name recognition in Michigan. So at some point in time, that may change. Uh, but um, 
until that happens, I'm going to use the tools I have. That's by choice up to this point? Um, that's by um, design. Choice. They, they do have, yeah, I, I, and, I, and I respect carriers that pre, pre, um, protect franchise value of the agencies they currently represent. And so uh, there's fair representation in the area that we're in where we do most of our work that they don't need another um, agent in area. And so we've had conversations over the years, but it's never been uh, a priority for them to grow in this area because they're doing a good job with the agencies that currently represent them. And just to add another name in the mix isn't necessarily good for them, nor is it good for the partners that they've you know worked with for a number of years. So right. as much as it frustrates me at times when I can't get what I want, I recognize the value of that and, and respect it. Cool. That's cool. So you've been a member of IOA, Insurance Owners Agency Alliance. For those of you listeners who don't know, it's a private industry group, insurance independent insurance agency owner group. That's therefore the name. Uh, those are the requirements to join the group. I'm the original founder of the group. We just turned nine years old in January. And the way that came about, you probably heard the story hundreds of times because I've told this thousands of times, but I had made my switch finally just 10 years ago from the captive world to the independent side. And going through that, I felt like I needed some help personally, selfishly, to get some of my independent questions answered. So I created this group because I had success doing it on a neighborhood basis uh, where I lived. And so I started the group and it grew very slowly at first and eventually it took off. And and so you've been a member for how long? Do you know? Year two or three or four? Or it's it's got to be three years now. Um, three years. Okay. It may, may, be, may be a little bit longer, but like I didn't fully start to engage in it. Um, it was a very passive relationship in the beginning. Um, I joined uh, because I wanted to see what it was about. And mm -hmm. I'm cautious with some of those conversations in the beginning when you're starting to feel the... Um, the, the temperature of the room, so to speak, um, because, you know, we're having some pretty um, intimate um, business conversations and to speak freely and, and, and accurately, uh, because my experience is either you make yourself vulnerable or you get in a room full of very boastful people that make you feel really bad about yourself. And, and um, what I found is some of those, those boasts aren't necessarily accurate or true, but once you get, comfortable in this group, you start to recognize that these are just real conversations with good people that are just trying to, you know, do the same thing you're doing, you know, take care of your families and grow some, yeah. some wealth for some potential retirement in the future. And, and everyone mm -hmm. wants to, you know, sh uh, share and, and, um, their experiences and ask questions in a fairly, um, non-invasive, uh, environment. And so it's been, it's been a, a great for me personally, because I've, grown my peer-to-peer -peer, um, interactions uh, much further than I would have had I just been involved at the state level, which I've you know built some great relationship over there for that. And, sure. and I've done some national things with the big I as well. Uh, but I, I, I can't compare to what the IAOA has done for me. And um, I try and give back on a regular basis whenever I can. You do. And we appreciate that because you've got some terrific wisdom to share that can be benefited from, uh, mostly from, uh, you know, the lesser experienced agents in our group. And they're all agency owners. So it can be about insurance related uh, topics, or it could be business, just sheer business, you know, employee relations or carrier relations or whatever it might be. 
um, the topics range from A to Z and beyond. So um, in our group, and that's the beauty of it. Um, I almost never censor any of it uh, unless you're violating our group rules, which is basically just be respectful. I mean, we can go beyond that, but that's basically what it is. If somebody's not being respectful, then I step in, but that's just not very often. As long as you're sharing your opinion and and recognize it, others have their own and they're entitled to them just like you are. So you may not agree with them. You don't have to agree. You don't, you can be completely opposite in agreement, but they're entitled to their opinion just like you are. So share your opinions. Just don't belittle or ridicule others because their opinions aren't the same as yours. They shouldn't be the same always. I mean, that's why we're individual humans. Uh, but it gives us all an opportunity to, in an open forum, or a closed forum, I should say, um, but in an open way, to be able to ask questions, share ideas and opinions, and give advice. And a lot of times it's very, very actionable items that, I mean, our, our form library is over a thousand documents now over the years that where people can go grab forms or, um, oh my gosh, the, the, the titles go on and on and on. But things that you could use in your own agency if you choose to or adapt them however you need to, to fit your own agency. And so this year, our annual conference, our ninth annual conference, is in your hometown of Chicago. And it's on the south side of the loop at the Marriott Marquis, which is next door to McCormick Place, which is one of the nation's largest convention centers and one of the country's largest. And uh, it's a beautiful hotel. I was just there last week. It's seven, seven years old. It's not very old. And uh, the rooms are gorgeous. I mean, they haven't even had to go through a renovation yet. It still looks brand new. And uh, the um, conference room space is gorgeous. The exhibit hall space is gorgeous. They have terrific food options. And there's a bunch of little restaurants just within a block or two walking distance. Um, we visited a couple of them while we were there. Um, we did a pre-conference visit last week. Nice, so we nice. Did these, That's a great area one over or there. Two. Yeah, love it there, and uh, you know, get to the water, the lakefront, real easy. It's just blocks to shed aquarium and all that on the lakefront. So there's just a ton of things to do, and if you want to virtue um, out a little bit further, head up to you know Michigan Avenue, the Magnificent Mile, and do all your bar hopping and shopping and all that good stuff, and tons of Chicago pizza, that's for sure. So we'll. Um, Hopefully we'll see you there in Chicago. Oh, yeah, I'm signing up tomorrow. Week. Yep, tomorrow's the first day for registrations. And uh, it's the first weekend in October. For those of you who don't know, it's by invitation only to IOA members, who we now have nine, over 9,000 agency owner members in our group. So uh, we don't open it. We're a little different. We don't open it to the industry. So obviously captive agents aren't allowed, only our members who are independent agents. And you must be a member. Otherwise, you don't get the invitation. So it's exclusive. The other difference, the probably one of the biggest differences we talked about briefly is, before we went on um, camera today, is our conference, all presentations are peer-to-peer. So everybody who's on stage speaking is an IOA member. And they're talking about one of the things that they do in their agency very, very well so they can share it with their peers. And hopefully you'll take a few of those things home and on Monday morning start to implement 
and make improvements in your agency so you can have a more profitable agency. And that's our format. We bring in a whole host of uh, uh, preferred exhibitors and vendors to who can provide you with the services and products that you need in your agency to be able to you know, make it even better than it was before. And, um, and the networking is off the charts. Like you said, the, the, the network of uh, peers that you've created, just because a lot of them are just still virtual because we're a closed Facebook group. But when you get the chance to shake hands and meet these folks face-to-face and have a cocktail after hours, you know, and have conversations uh, in the hallways, it's just the experience is just uh, unbelievable. And that's why we have several hundred people every year join us uh, at our annual conference. Our very first year, we had 27 people show up. And the following year, we had 120, and it's just gone up and up and up every year. Are you capping how many people can participate this year? uh, We do do because the ballroom only holds so many seats, you know. So 750 for attendees, 108 in the exhibit hall, actual booths, 10 by 10 booths. uh, And that's almost sold out. We opened that up in February. Uh, But attendees start registering tomorrow. So there'll be some surprises, and I haven't mentioned any of this. This is the first time, and people won't even hear this till after tomorrow. <laughs> but but I'm going to put it in the group maybe today. I, I don't know. We're going to make some surprises for the first 100 or so people who sign up tomorrow because we'll get a few few hundred right off the bat on, the, on day one because there's a certain amount of people who want to get tickets. There's some things that we have that are optional that do uh, are capped. We have a Women of Iowa brunch. We only sell 100 tickets. That one sold out first last year. It was our second year. Uh, This year, we have something brand new. You can have a VIP dinner with all 19 of our presenters. That's on Friday night. And that's a ticket that you must purchase optionally. So there's only 100 of those that we can sell. We only have so much space. So that's unique. And we'll also have a little fun on Friday night. We'll have a casino night and Roaring Twenties party. That'll be a blast. We've had that twice, two years. We've had a casino night. So much fun. We've had uh, harbor cruises in San Diego and Tampa, uh, in Orlando and Phoenix. We had a casino night. We didn't need one of those in Vegas because there was a casino nope. <laughs> built in. So, um, but that there's going to be a lot of fun things too, a lot of learning uh, and a lot of networking and and meeting and talking with people that um, share the same passions that we all do in our industry. So anyway, Don, we're up against our timeline. So I want to say thank you, sir, for joining me. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your week. Yeah, I appreciate our conversations. Absolutely. I want to thank you for sharing all you have. And I know our listeners are going to benefit from it. And uh, enjoy your weekend. And thanks a lot. Take care. Take care, Dave. Thank you. You bet. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to CollabCast with IAOA with Captain Dave Jackson. Production and distribution by Podsquad.fm, Riverside.fm, and Spotify for podcasters. Special thanks to Little Dog Social Media, Terry Champion, and all our guests and listeners. If you're an independent insurance agency owner, please subscribe to our podcast weekly. You can also request to join our agency owner exclusive Facebook group, IAOA, or Insurance Agency Owners Alliance at IAOA.com. Captain Dave Jackson signs out from sunny Hendersonville, Tennessee.